Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week we talk with pastor and counselor from Alistair Begg's Parkside Church, Jonathan Holmes, on biblical friendship. The predominant movement of people who are in Christ is these one another commands. Well, you cannot one another yourself. The one another's require another person. And so this idea that I can just get saved and be a lone ranger and it's just me and my private salvation, it can be to the exclusion of other deep, meaningful relationships, I think ignores the faithful biblical witness of the New Testament. Hey, it's Isaac, your host. Hope you're doing well. So, friendship. That's what this episode is all about, friendship. And I, I think a lot of people have different ideas when it comes to what exactly encapsulates friendship and what friendship is really for, like its purpose. Um, I think the vast majority of us would say, maybe you wouldn't, but I, I'm just guessing here, the vast majority of us would say that friendship is about connecting with someone or multiple people, obviously, by enjoying their presence or something along those lines. You know, uh, we'd also might say that friendship is a necessity, that we need others to talk about, you know, the things in life, whether good things or bad things or things we're working through. We want to be able to connect with someone about those issues. But is there a special kind of redeemed aspect of friendship when it comes to those in the body of Christ? There's a little book that was published by the Cruciform Press called The Company We Keep in Search of Biblical Friendship. And because this is an important issue, I decided to see if the author, who's Jonathan Holmes, was interested in chatting with me about biblical friendship. And he said he would do it. So here's my conversation with Jonathan Holmes on biblical friendship. Well, with me today is Jonathan Holmes. Jonathan is a campus pastor of Parkside Church and the counseling, sort of overseas counseling for all uh, the churches under Parkside Church in Ohio. Um, and Parkside Church is actually the teaching ministry of, um, teaching ministry, it's where Alistair Begg uh, preaches, uh, and you might have heard that name before. Uh, Jonathan is also the author of The Company We Keep in Search of Biblical Friendship. Anyways, thanks for coming on the show today, Jonathan. Thank you, Isaac. Uh, why don't you just first tell us a bit about yourself? So, you know, for myself and listeners, it's like, okay, this is who he is. This is his family. This is what he likes to do. And also the work that you do at Parkside Church. Well, thanks so much for, for having me on. It's, a, it's an honor and it's a privilege anytime I can, I can talk and uh, share about Christ and specifically about friendship. Uh, my name's Jonathan. I serve at Parkside Church, as you mentioned, as the pastor of counseling. Uh, we have four campuses here in the Cleveland area, and I oversee our counseling and our counseling ministries, as well as serve at uh, one of our campuses uh, in the southern part of the city. Uh, I'm married. I've been married for about 11 years to my wonderful wife, Jen. Uh, we have four children, uh, all girls. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, I have girls going from age eight all the way to two, and uh, it, is, it is an exciting time in the home home. So uh, I love having all girls. I love having daughters. It's uh, it's been a wonderful adventure. So, That's awesome. And what sort of, I mean, I don't know if you have free time, but if you did have free time, <laughs> what are some things that you enjoy to do? Right. Well, when, when we're not changing diapers and doing <laughs> math homework, uh, you know, my wife and I love to travel. We love to share a good meal together. Uh, I like to read. I like to be outside and do gardening and uh, do things around our yard, but just love being with other people too. So. Yeah. 
That's so good. That's awesome. Well, let's just let's just head straight into it because I really want to have yeah. a lot of this time to get into uh, friendship. So, anyways, let's let's just start here. Um, you mention in your book that we are relational beings. That as a human, our part of our ontology is re- we're relational. Um, I guess the first question is, what does that mean, and where do we find that in Scripture? Right. Great question. Well, when you look at the Genesis narratives, there in Genesis one and two, you see in Genesis one twenty six that. Uh, God makes us in his image, and a lot has been written and said about that about that plural pronoun there where uh, God says, let us make man in our image. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that we immediately see is that the way that we are created is meant to image God and the way that God relates within a community. We realize that at creation, not only is God present, but God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are also there. Mm. So we realize that for all of eternity, God has himself existed within a community, within a relationship. And so in Genesis 126, when he says, let us make man in our image, part of that image bearing capacity is the capacity and the necessity really to be in relationship. So as you go through the Genesis narrative, there is this cadence of God creates, it was morning, it was evening the first day, and it was good. And when you get to the sixth day, the cadence stops a little bit. God creates Adam. But in Genesis 2, there is a recognition that there is something that's not good. There's something that's not good about just Adam being on his own. And you can almost imagine as Adam's naming all the animals that there's a sense that there is not a way that he can fully image God in the way that he's been created with just an animal or with nature. And so as we know, God creates uh, creates Eve for him. Mm-hmm. And so we see there that when man and woman unite together, a lot of the primary application that's been written about Genesis 2 is, you know, about marriage and the goodness of marriage. Mm-hmm. But I think even before that, what you see is that Adam needed another person with whom he could fully image God with that he was not able to fully image God by himself. And that's what was not good. And that's why God created Eve. And so when we look at that, when we look at that dynamic then in Genesis 1 and 2, I think it's so important for us to see that we we really were created to be in community. We were created and designed to be in relationship. And so Adam's loneliness that he that he sees and that he feels and that he inherently notices in Genesis 2, that's actually that's actually because he was perfect. Yeah. Loneliness is actually an aspect of our perfection. Uh, and so that's, I think, a really wonderful thing that, that really, that we begin to see there in Genesis 1 and 2. That's really, that's awesome. And I think it's neat too how it says it is not good for man to be right. alone. It doesn't, it's not, right. like, it's not just, uh, it, you know, it doesn't work when man's alone or, you know, it's not practical. <laughs> it's, it's actually something to do with the goodness, you know? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. That's awesome. Now, you, you say in your book, um, you, you say this, I'll quote it. Um, as soon as sin appeared, we quickly became I, and human history has never been the same. Um, and I love that little quote. Uh, mm. But anyways, can you expound, just expound on that a little bit more? Yeah. When you read again in the Genesis narrative at the end of chapter two, uh, you know, Adam sees Eve and the 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 words really can't contain his excitement, his passion. You know, he says, "At last, you know, this is woman, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh." It's it's written poetically, and we even see that in terms of how our our text actually sections it off as poetry. But you see this wonderful exclamation of unity, of purpose, of relationship and friendship. You get the sense as you move along that they're in relationship. They walk in the garden every day with God. Mm. But in Genesis three. 
uh, as soon as sin enters into the world, that that unity, that oneness, that relational intensity, integrity, it quickly breaks apart. And so God's coming in the cool of the day. He's looking for Adam and Eve. He's saying, hey, where were you? And it immediately turns into a finger pointing game, right? You know, Adam's blaming Eve, Eve's blaming the serpent. All of the relational connectedness, the friendship between the two of them is completely fractured. Everybody's out for himself. Nobody's taking responsibility. Uh, There's shame. There's guilt. There's embarrassment. There's a recognition at the core that, that they have sinned, that something's wrong. And that's in many ways, why they're hiding, not only from God, but in many ways from themselves. And so from Genesis 3 onward, the ability to be in human relationships and by extension friendships has been completely altered. And you see it play out immediately in Genesis 4, where you see two brothers uh, who in a perfect world should be getting along, imaging God together perfectly with one another. You see Cain turns against his brother and murders his brother. Yeah. Uh, so, so human history ramps up very quickly in terms of the way that sin affects our relationships and by extension, our friendships. Yeah, no, that's very good. And, you know, I, I look around at even our, our, our culture today, specifically in kind of maybe urban centers in the West, North America. Um, I, I, I just don't see a lot of close friendships. I even think of our, our own churches, our own local churches. And, and I think it's really neat. At the beginning of your book, you list a whole bunch of these kind of hypothetical examples of people that are sort of struggling with, you know, this feeling that they need that friendship, but they're right. just not there quite. Yeah. And uh, yeah. what you just said, though, about way back, you know, way back in the Genesis in our roots, um, this must be, the, you know, the, the root of that problem now that's yes. causing autonomy, this individuality that's sort of messing with us a little bit. Right, absolutely. And I think one of the myths about friendship is that it should be somewhat easy. You know, you find a friend, you have a lot of common interests, uh, you enjoy the same things, and so the friendship should come easily. Mm-hmm. And, and and oftentimes friendships do come easily, but they're definitely not maintained easily. Mm-hmm. And I think in large part that's due to the way sin affects our relationships. Yeah. Uh, we, we're not self-sacrificial enough. We don't love well enough. We don't mm-hmm. pursue people like we should. And so it takes work then to, to be in friendship and to be in relationship. And so for most people, uh, that just sounds like a lot of work. So yeah. we kind of give up. Yeah. We get disenchanted. We get disillusioned with friendship. Yeah. And you withdraw or you push back or, you know, maybe you just allow your friendships to be somewhat superficial. But all of that, I do think, traces back to just the way that sin affects how we relate to one another. Right. That's good. I want to actually come back to that, like how to have biblical friendships. But first, yeah. I think mm-hmm. we need to first consider, okay, you're, you're, we're talking about friend relationships, but now there's this, you know, biblical friendships. What is that? Uh, and how does this differ from friendships with those maybe who aren't Christian? Right. Great question. Again, my simplest definition of biblical friendship is it is a friendship that is centered on Christ where the two individuals are seeking to become more like him. Mm. Uh, So it's a friendship that ultimately isn't centered around a common interest, a stage of life, a technological platform, a political party, a a certain grade level or whatnot, or even gender. But a friendship, a biblical friendship is centered on Christ. It's centered on the gospel, how Christ brings two people together. And it exists primarily for both people to become more like Christ. Now, there are many unintended consequences and benefits, mutual enjoyment together, uh, having a companion, having a friend, having a comrade, etc. 
But the primary goal that we see of friendship is really that both people, both individuals, are seeking to become more like Christ. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, I, I think it's awesome. You, I think you quote uh, Tim Keller uh, in your book, uh, I'm pretty sure, and it's he, he kind of makes, I can't remember exactly what it is, it, um, the exact quote, but you pretty much, uh, he pretty much says that no matter uh, the race, the, you know, the interests, whatever it may be, different personalities, whatever, because there is this common goal to see Christ, to know Christ, to be like Christ, then it's not just, you know, this thread that, you know, binds them together, but it's a steel beam that can, and I, yes. I just think that's, yes. we need to hear that today because I, I look around right. at my generation and you just see these cliques of people that are all the same. Um, And there's none of this multi-generational, multi-ethnic relationships going on. Um, And I I guess I'm guessing this has an aspect to it, right? Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's so important. And again, I think the church oftentimes unintentionally can facilitate those types of fragmented relationships and friendships. So, you know, you have different stage of life groups meet and whatnot, uh, you know, broken down according to interest or schedules or whatnot. And and I'm trying to make the point in the book, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying that that's a a bad way to do it, Mm. but we don't want to forget that the primary reason why we can be friends and the primary purpose of friendship has to be centered and rooted in the gospel. Right. So that in John 15, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, that I have called you friends right. and that it is the movement of friendship that Jesus Christ moves towards us in friendship, reconciles us with God, the father that gives you and I a hope of pursuing friendship right. in a way then that can truly help you and I live into our design as image bearers of God. Yeah. That's so good. Um, now for all of us listening, including myself as well, we don't, we don't often think of, you know, the ultimate purpose and design of friendship, we don't automatically think, oh, it's to it's a point to God and point one another to God and for his glory. Uh, we think, you know, friendships are for, you know, the things that maybe come under that. Um, right. But you're saying that this is the point of biblical friendship, to point one another right. to God. So I, the question for me is like, I just feel like it's kind of wake, it's waking up this generation to what friendship is. So how can we grow in that right. goal together? Right. <laughs> Well, that's such a good question. Again, you you look at the New Testament, and it is absolutely impossible to read the ethical aspects of our faith uh, and and read them and not think that you can do it by yourself right. and to think that you can do it in isolation. I mean, the predominant movement of of people who are in Christ is is these one another commands, these one another imperatives. Well. You cannot one another yourself, right? I tell people all the time. (laughs) The one another's require another person. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that I can just get saved and be a lone ranger and it's just me and my private salvation, my private uh, union with Christ, and it can be to the exclusion of of other deep, meaningful relationships, I think uh, ignores the faithful biblical witness of the New Testament. And so what you see is that Christ is redeeming not just individuals, He's redeeming a church for himself. He's renewing a a group of people, a a people of God, a household of faith. And it's that group of people then that as they interact with one another in friendship are able to become more like their savior. Hmm. So for example, in Ephesians 4, you you see Paul start off at the individual level. He says, listen, I want all of you to fulfill your individual calling, uh, live like you have been called. But then when you move into verses 15 and 16, it's very clear that 
the way that we do this is that we speak truth and love to one another. And in so doing, we build each other up. We build each other up in Christ so that the whole body is strengthened together. Right. Well, the way that that happens is through friendship. Wow. We get involved in others' lives. We love one another. We pray for one another. We greet one another. We host one another. We admonish one another. And that's the, the only friendship that really can can hold and sustain the one another's is is friendship. Right. Uh, can you do it in marriage? Absolutely. Can a parent-child relationship do that? Absolutely. But everybody doesn't always have access to those different relationships. Right. And so friendship is the one relationship that mm. whatever background you come from in a church setting, friendship is, I would say, it is, it's, it's the most friendly of all. It's the one that every person who is in Christ has opportunity to be a part of. That's so good. Um, you know, it's funny, as you say that, I, I, I'm thinking back to a conversation I had a little while ago with a, a representative from uh, the Gideon's, uh, International Gideon's Bible Society, and we were talking about evangelism. And near the end of it, we started thinking that, well, before we can even go out and evangelize, w- we ourselves need to be enjoying the gospel for ourselves and 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 knowing the gospel and knowing Jesus. And I, I almost see that play here too. Before we can go and have these biblical friendships for the purpose of becoming like Christ, we our hearts need to be aching to be like Christ and to see yes. and to see his church. So how does yes. how does the role of Christ, I guess, play in in friendship? You know, in, in Romans one fifteen, Paul says to the church of Rome, he says, I'm eager to come and to preach the gospel to you. So you immediately see that this church, there are people who are already saved. So why does Paul need to come preach the gospel to them if they already mm, know it? Well, the idea is, well, we need the gospel every day. The gospel is not only the way in, but it's the way on. And it's going to be what sustains and keeps us. So the message of the gospel is that God in Christ pursues people for himself. And so if you don't understand that individually, that part of the gospel means that God in Christ pursued you well, then, yeah, you're not going to get why then you should go pursue someone else. If salvation is not permeating every aspect of who you are and what you do, how you think, how you look out for other people, well, then it probably makes sense that friendship's not going to be a priority. But if you really understand the gospel and how it impacts everyday life, you can't help but pursue others because that is the dominant movement of the gospel is God comes down to us in Christ. He sanctifies us. He justifies us. He pursues us to be in relationship with him. And so part of that imperative then of what it means to be in Christ is not only are you in Christ, but you're a part of the family of God. Yeah. And so part of being in the family of God means that you have uh, duties and obligations and responsibilities to those whom you find yourself in family relationship with. Yeah. And so friendship is a relationship then that I'm convinced of that helps us best articulate and work out so many of these different ethical commands and imperatives right. uh, in the New Testament. That's so good. Um, you know, for this last little section, um, I'm wondering if I almost feel like you need to, uh, because obviously you've dug into this a lot, I would love for you to sort of just really share with us the gospel because I just kind of feel like a lot of uh, young adults, millennials, whoever may be listening, um, their lack of actually going and, and starting these friendships is because of um, maybe their their misunderstanding or uh, they're just kind of maybe confused about mm-hmm. God's love for them. Because you say in the book, and I think it's so powerful, actually, it's very profound. I had to share it with my friend uh, right away when I read it. But uh, I think you were quoting someone, but you said that God had to break his friendship yeah. at the cross. Mm-hmm. 
um, in order yeah. for us to actually have friendship. Yes. And yes. when I read that, I was like, I've never heard it said that way because God is Trinity yeah. and he had to break that. So, yes. yeah, could you just sh- share with us what this gospel is um, that really right. binds us together? Well, when we think about the gospel, we know that oftentimes the gospel can come to us propositionally. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, you know, for this I delivered to you, it's of first importance. Christ died, he was buried, and he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. Well, that's encapsulated propositional truth. That is the gospel. We also know the gospel comes to us as a story. That's really the story of the Bible. So if you think about it from the perspective of friendship, the way that I describe it to people is, Well, here's the first part of the story. Part one, God created us for friendship. Uh, He created us to be in relationship with him. He wanted to walk with us. He wanted to talk with us. But in Genesis 3, we see that uh, friendship becomes broken. Hmm. Uh, The way that we relate to God and the way that we relate to other people has forever been marred by sin so that our relationship is fundamentally broken and our relationship with other people is fundamentally broken. So God made us for friendship. Friendship goes bad at the fall. So the entire movement of this story is, well, then what makes it better? What redeems it? What gets us back to that Edenic ideal of Mm. perfect fellowship with the Father in perfect friendship with other people? And that's where we get to Christ. And we see then that Christ is the perfect friend. He is the perfect God-man who can satisfy the requirements, both being fully God and fully human. And so living life as a human being and also being fully divine, he is able to be that perfect sacrifice for us. Mm. And so it's at the cross where we see in, in the most cosmically beautiful way, but it's also a really horrific scene, we see that that eternal friendship, which has existed for all of eternity, is broken. And you see Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, the only reason that, 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 that we can come up with as we read the Gospels is that is, that is the payment that is required for our sin. Right. It required a perfect sacrifice. And so Christ goes to the cross, and in the single greatest act of friendship, he self-sacrifices himself, which is why in John fifteen fifteen he says, greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Wow. Now, the difference between Christ's sacrifice and how you and I self-sacrifice is that Christ's sacrifice was voluntary. He didn't need to do it. Right. He voluntarily died in our place. And so we see then at the cross that friendship between God is actually made possible because Christ experiences total abandonment at the hands of the Father whom he's experienced eternal friendship with. But the story doesn't end there because then after that, we know Christ is raised from the dead. The gospel then is us being reconciled to God in Christ. But the final element, not only were we created for friendship, friendship has gone bad, Jesus redeems friendship, but also we're going to be friends forever. Right. Because you look at Revelation 7 and the, the picture that you see there is people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation glorifying and worshiping God together. Right. And so I always tell people, listen, if you don't like friendship now, you want to be by yourself, I go, you're going to hate heaven. <laughs> because that's all heaven is. Yeah. Heaven is a giant friendship party of people worshiping God forever. Not as married people, not as single people, divorced or widowed or disenfranchised or disillusioned. It's people who are joined together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Wow. So the reason why friendship is so important is friendship is the relationship that best prepares you and I for our future reality with Christ yes. and with God, worshiping Him forever. Right. And so when you think about the storyline of the gospel, that's where I feel like it's so important for us to understand it. 
really from this perspective of friendship, because I think friendship, uh, the, the friendship really articulates and details out the storyline in such a beautiful way. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that. That's it's awesome. And you know, I. I I think there's people probably listening that are just on board right now. They're like, oh, it clicked. So I guess one of the practical questions, it might sound kind of funny, Jonathan, is if someone's listening, including myself, and if we want to see our church friendships become something that has this deep foundation, this deep root, um, how, how do we start that? Do we need to tell our friends, hey, we need to start doing, <laughs> you know, we need to be pointing to Christ now from this point on. Like, right, how, how can we right, start right. integrating that? Well, I mean, the easy answer would be, hey, go buy the book. There's a whole chapter on forging friendships, but we'll, we'll give people a little bit of a, a sneak peek here. Okay. You know, it's, it's, it's really simple, ordinary things. Friendship is formed in the ordinary, everyday, mundane circumstances of life. Every time you have coffee with a friend, every time you share a meal with a friend, you're, you're living out God's design for you. Whether or not you know it or not, you're preparing for what? You're preparing for that future meal. That meal that will happen for all of eternity where right. Christ is seated at the marriage feast uh, with with his bride. So you're not just eating a meal and catching a show with your friend. You're you're actually getting ready for eternity, you know. Yeah. Uh, every time every time you pray for your friend, you're becoming more like Christ. You're pointing to Christ because you you're acknowledging the fact that you're not meant to live life alone and you need help from outside yourself to handle the difficulties and the burdens and the hardships. Yeah. Uh, every time you speak truth to a friend, every time you confront your friend, every time you give counsel to your friend, you're becoming more like Christ because you realize that none of us are supposed to just stay as we are. We yeah. come as we are, but you're not supposed to stay as you are. God is completing a good work of grace that he began in you. And so every time you speak truth and love to one another, you realize you're actually building up the body of Christ. And yeah. and, and so what you do is you actually see all these other Ordinary ways that maybe we take for granted are actually fundamentally profound ways to build friendship. You know, something as simple as I tell people, sit with your friend on a Sunday morning and worship with them, yeah. right? Something as simple as physical presence as one worships God gets you ready for the future, yeah. you know? So there are a lot of ways. I think a lot of times people think about friendship as these, uh, you know, really heroic, over-the-top acts of, you know, how can I prove my friendship? We have this maybe over-realized ideal of uh, friendship that we've drawn from literature or from movies. And, and, and while friendship definitely has moments like that, I also think that it probably happens in just everyday moments like this as well. That's so good. Uh, Jonathan, that, that wraps up our time uh, now, but uh, thank you so much. And I'm going to be putting the links, uh, the link to your book uh, on the episode page so people can grab that uh, as well. And anyways, yeah, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom and just sharing with us. And uh, yeah, and I hope to have you back on the show again soon. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Isaac, and I hope it was helpful for everyone. If you're interested in Jonathan's book, you can search for the title at cruciformpress.com. The title of the book is The Company We Keep in Search of Biblical Friendship. I'm also going to put all the links to both his book and his church on the episode page online. I just wanted to reemphasize the importance of a personal understanding and love for the gospel when it comes to friendship. You know, if you want your friendships to be merely surface or even just a comfortable place for you to be you, then what we've been talking about won't really interest you. But if you desire something more, then it has to begin with your understanding 
understanding and enjoyment of the gospel. Anyways, that wraps up this week's show. If you're interested in donating to Indoubt, you can do that by clicking the donate button at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. If you want to connect with us throughout the week, you can do that by heading to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And if there's a topic or a guest you're interested in, then just let us know. Uh, you can email us at info at indoubt.ca. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we chat with author Vanitha Rendell Reisner on the important subject of joy in the midst of suffering. Indoubt Ministries exist to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.